Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler, and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. If you guys have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Would you open them up to the book of Joshua, chapter 3? Uh, Joshua chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there are some hardback black Bibles under your chair. You can grab one of those. It's page 179 if you're using one of those. Today we're continuing with our series in the book of Joshua, which we've entitled Heading Home. His faithfulness, our obedience. Two weeks ago, we were in Joshua chapter 2. We took a break last week for D now, but now two weeks ago when we were in Joshua chapter 2, we were looking at the story that we, we tend to think about as Joshua sending the spies into Jericho to check out Jericho before the people invaded the land. And, and as we looked at Joshua chapter 2, what we saw is that that chapter isn't really about spies, it's about faith. It's about the faith of a woman named Rahab, and Rahab was not a, an Israelite. She was a Gentile. She was a prostitute who lived in Jericho. She had heard about Yahweh and all that Yahweh had done, and, and as she heard, a newfound faith began to take root in her. She believed that Yahweh was God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath, and as Rahab's faith began to take root, it led her to take some steps that to an outside world make absolutely no sense. It led her to commit treason against her own people and against her king and harbor and help these spies that Joshua sent in to check out Jericho. And as we considered what we saw there in chapter 2, we found that, what, that, that faith, it comes by hearing. That God does this work where he stirs faith in our hearts as people hear about him and about what he's done, which means that how we live our lives, what we say, what we do, it says something about who our God is. And we want to keep that in mind. We saw that faith changes how we see things. When we place our faith in Christ, that changes how we see God because in, in Christ, we know that our sins have been forgiven. So we don't have to run from God in terror, but when we sin, when we fail, when we fall down, we can get up, we can repent, and we can run to God as our refuge. It changes how we see things. And we saw that faith unites us for the mission to serve God. The faith that in, in God that Rahab and the spies shared was, was there, and it built this trust between them that propelled them forward as they served God, and it does the same thing in us. Joshua chapter 2 is all about faith, but in the overarching story of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2 kind of feels like a parenthetical aside. It takes place in the city of Jericho, but meanwhile, Joshua and the rest of Israel is still over on the east side of the Jordan River. And as we come to Joshua chapter 3, that little aside is kind of coming to an end, and now we're coming back over to the plains of Moab where Israel is camped out. And, and now, as Israel begins their journey into Canaan, uh, they're going to head over to the river, and before they can actually enter into Canaan, they've got a problem that they've got to address. They've got a river that at, is at its flood stage, and they've got to somehow get across. This is a complex challenge, but thankfully, our God, the God of Israel, is a God of complexity. Our problems, our challenges, uh, they are nothing to him. 
And we're going to see that today as we look at Joshua chapter 3. So let's dive in together. We're going to be in the entire chapter of chapter 3 today. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there should be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribe of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents, to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before them. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we dive into Joshua chapter 3 and we read about Israel crossing over the Jordan River, would you help to teach us of our utter dependence on you? Would you help us to see that whatever problem we face in life, we, we may not know how to overcome it, but that doesn't mean that you don't. And we can trust you. We can place our faith in you. We can let you lead us through the the complexities of life in order to live fully on mission for you. God, speak into our hearts today. I know every single person in this room has got something going on in their life. Maybe it's some burden that they're, they're trying to figure out. They're not sure where to go. But as we look at your word today, would you speak into our situations Help us to see how we move forward following your leadership in our lives, God. We need your help with this, God. We cannot do it on our own, but we know that you are faithful and good. 
And so we're asking you to help today. Get Josh out of the way and speak to every person in this room. We look forward to celebrating as you work in our lives. We look forward to making much of your name as you continue to work here in this church. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. As we're looking at this text here in Joshua chapter 3 today, I can't help but wonder how many of us have ever had a complex problem that we have to deal with. I think most of us have, if we're being honest. Uh, now, in fairness, some challenges are, are more difficult, more complex than others. Um, there, there are some that are easy and, and we actually invite into our lives and some not so much. Like So right now, circulating in pop culture, there are a couple of complex challenge type games going out there. Uh, who's, who's done their Wordle for the day? You know what I'm talking about, Wordle? I'm, I'm, I'm like the only one that does Wordle. Come on, guys, we're better than that. <laughs> so there's Wordle that's been really popular lately. Um, uh, the, another one related to Wordle is called Nerdle. Um, so what Wordle is, if you don't know, is, is it is a word-guessing game, and you get it, it's a five five-letter word, you get six chances to guess the word, and, and so you'll, you'll, everybody's got their own start word. Mine is roast, R-O-A-S-T, because I watch uh, Wheel of Fortune, and I know R-S-T-N-L-E are the most, anyway. Um, so, so you start with that, and, and whatever letters are in that word, it tells you, and, and the letters that aren't, it takes away, and so you get these six chances to guess the word. It sounds like really nerdy, but it's a lot of fun, and, and, and it can be a challenge at times. I have not completed my Wordle for today, just true confession. Nerdle is similar, um, but Nerdle, you get eight characters, and it's a math problem you have to guess and solve. So just basic math, subtraction, uh, multiplication, and division, um, and you get the same, same six guesses, right? Is it six guesses with, with eight characters? Um, don't check it out now, but check it out after the service. I'm telling you, it, it's great. But here's the thing with, with Wordle and Nerdle, those, those are complex challenges that you get to choose for yourself, and, and honestly, you're choosing it. Sometimes we have challenges that, face, that we face in life, and, and we don't have as much of a choice. So for Tamana right now, we've got, um, we've got seven uh, female goats, seven does, and, and over the last month, four of them have kitted. So we have 10 little baby goats running around our barn with three stalls, and every morning we have to go into the barn and figure out how to feed all the goats so that they don't interfere with each other and no, none of the babies get trampled. Um, that's a challenge. It's, it sounds like it's not. I'm telling you, it's a challenge, right, Tama? It is hard to do. But, but even that is not what I'm talking about when I talk about complex challenges that we face every day. When I'm talking about complex problems, I'm, I'm talking about the kind where we don't really know what to do. I'm talking about the kind where we just have no idea how to proceed. Now, thankfully, problems like that don't usually come at us every single day. Sometimes that's like a once in a year or once every couple of years kind of problems. Um, they don't come every day, but when they do come, what do we do? As we follow Jesus, what do we do when we've got a complex problem? As we look at what's happening here for the people of Israel, I can't help but think that this was a complex problem that they're facing. The people are standing there on the banks of the Jordan River, a river that is in its flood stage, higher than it is at any other time of year, and God has told them that they need to go over this river into Canaan, and they've got to do it now. They don't have a bridge. They don't have boats. We're talking about a couple hundred thousand people that need to get across this river. This is a complex problem. 
But as we look at Joshua chapter 3 together, what we're going to see is that our complexities are nothing to God. And as we look at this text, there, there are at least three things that we can see the people of Israel and see Joshua doing that we can emulate. Take a look at how all this begins. Starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from this place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Now, before we even begin to look at what they were doing here, uh, I think we need to pause for just a moment and recognize the significance of the Ark of the Covenant. This is the first time that it is mentioned here in the book of Joshua, but now that it's come into view, it's going to take center stage. And the reason that the Ark of the Covenant is going to take center stage is that the Ark is the sign of God's presence among his people. We need to recognize that. That's significant. It's, it is so significant that the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 10 times in this chapter alone. Because what that's telling us is that everything that's going to happen here, it's happening because God is there. Because God is at work. The, the wonders that are going to happen are his wonders. The whole thing is his doing. We're going to want to keep that in mind throughout our time in the book of Joshua. So Israel leaves Shittim. They make their journey to the edge of the river. And once they arrive at the river, they stop and they camp out for three days. And as they stand there on the banks of the river, they prepare to tackle the problem at hand. They've got to get across the river. Now, we're going to read down in verse 15 that the river is at its flood. And, and what that means is that a river that was normally about 90 to 100 feet wide is now nearly a mile wide. To give you some perspective, that's a body of water about the distance across at the Perdido Bay Bridge, as the Perdido Bay is, right? Like that is a large body of water, but it's not calm, it's a rushing body of water. The Jordan River drops on average nine feet per mile as it flows from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. That's the average. There are places where it's 25 feet per mile. And to give you some perspective, the, the Mississippi River, it drops 1.2 feet per mile as it travels. The Mississippi is a fairly slow river, but it's got a strong current. Imagine nine feet per mile. This is a raging river that is flowing right here. It is so wide, they're not going to be able to get across. And, and they didn't have the bridge that we would have today. They didn't have boats to get across. The fords that would have normally been used are inaccessible because the river is at its flood stage. So as we look at the people of here in Israel in these first six verses, what we're seeing is that as we begin, we could do like they could do. We, we can just do what we know to do. If I could borrow a, a line from that very popular and famous 19th century Scandinavian philosopher from Arendelle, the Princess Anna, um, we can do the next right thing in front of us. That didn't get a laugh from anybody. Come on, guys. Who's seen Frozen 2? Okay, it's one of the songs. My daughter said that you guys would laugh. You didn't. 
I'm done trying to be funny. Do the right next, do the, this is all falling apart. Nathan warned me, do the next right thing in front of you. That's what they did here. Seriously, that's what they did. For Israel right here, we're seeing them do that in two ways. Okay, first, they set themselves up to see God at work. And second, they prepare their hearts to follow God's leadership. Let me show you that. In verses three and four, the officers go through the camp and they command the people to follow the Ark of the Covenant. And that makes sense, right? God's people are following God's presence. We expect that as they're getting ready to go into Canaan. But then in verse four, we read, they're told, yet there shall be a distance between you and it, between you and the Ark of the Covenant, about 2,000 cubits in length. Now, why that distance? A cubit is about 18 inches. It's about a foot and a half. So being told that you need to maintain a distance of 2,000 cubits is basically you're being told to maintain a distance of 3,000 feet. A mile is 5,280 feet. So that means they're being told, we need you guys to stand back about a mile or about half a mile from the Ark of the Covenant as we proceed across the river. Why the distance? Why are they standing so far back? Now, the Bible makes clear, the Mosaic Law makes clear that the Ark of the Covenant is holy. Like, you are not allowed to touch the Ark. Nobody is allowed to physically touch the Ark of the Covenant. It had to be carried with poles. And only the Levitical priests could carry the Ark of the Covenant. So, so, so it makes sense that it's holy, but contrary to what we might be inclined to think, this distance right here, it's not about holiness. This distance is so that they can see what God is doing as the Ark heads into the river. That is confirmed, by the way, when we see what happens. Because the ark is going to come down, and they're going to stand there in the river. The priests carrying the ark are going to stop in the riverbed, but all of the people are going to keep going. They're going to walk right next to the ark. So they don't keep that distance the whole time. The whole reason that they're told to stand back 2,000 cubits behind the ark is so that they can see what's going on, so that they can see that God is work. You see, if we're too close... If they were too close, they wouldn't be able to see what's happening. But if they stood back, they could. That's why they're told to maintain that distance, so that they could see God at work. And, and, and as I said, that's confirmed by what happens as they walk across the river. And, and there are times where we need to do that too. Like as we're following Christ, when we face hard things, when we face challenges, when, we, when we've got some sort of a problem that we don't know how to solve, sometimes the best thing that we can do is just to step back and look to see where God is at work. Sometimes we get so close to a problem that we can't even recognize what's going on and, and we just need to step back. When I was flying, before every flight, we would go out and we'd do a pre-flight inspection, which is basically what it sounds like. We'd walk right up to the jet, and, and I would start on the left side of the jet, the, my pilot would start on the right, and we would walk all the way around the jet, and we would inspect it, and we'd check out all of our instruments. We would walk and check out the wheel wells. We'd climb up into the wheel wells, check hydraulic pressure gauges that are in the wheel well. We'd check the hydraulic lines to make sure nothing's leaking. We'd go over, we'd inspect the tires, we'd inspect the brakes. We'd walk around to the back, inspect the tail hook at the back, the exhaust vents. We would look down the intakes of the engines. We would look over the whole aircraft getting ready to go flying. And once that inspection was complete, we would climb up into the jet, strap in, start up, and go fly. Every single flight had a pre-flight inspection. 
But there's one last step that's not in the checklist that I learned to do as a young aviator, and I, I always did every single flight, and one day it eventually paid off. And, and that's that after I'd walked all the way around the aircraft, I would stop at the front of the aircraft, I'd walk back about 60 to 70 feet, about one aircraft length in front of the jet, and I would just stare straight at the front of the jet and just look it over from a distance. And that paid off one day because as I got there and I looked at the jet, I, I noticed that the whole aircraft had a massive left wing down tilt. And as soon as I saw it, I knew that what the problem was. I, I walked up, even though I'd been right up close, I'd completely missed that the left main landing gear strut, which is kind of like your shock absorber on your car, that strut, it was not properly pressurized, so it was way down. There was no way that we were going to be able to go flying until that had gotten fixed. We've been inspecting the airplane up close and we completely missed it. Sometimes the best thing that we can do is just to step back and trip over Nathan's microphone stand and see where God is at work. That'll give us an idea of what to do next. You just need to have a change in perspective. And that's especially true when it comes to challenges we face when we're following Christ. Sometimes we just need that, that distance to see where God is working to give us an idea of how we're going to proceed. That's one of two things that Israel did right here, but the, they also prepared their hearts. Take a look at verse 5. The Bible says, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, to consecrate means to sanctify, to make sacred, to make holy. And here, the command is literally a command that Israel do that to themselves. This is a, a command to perform the ritual purification required in the law. And all of that was meant to prepare them to see God at work. All of that was meant to help them to see God do wonders in their presence. As they're sitting there with this problem, they don't know how to, how to solve. What we're seeing is them prepare their hearts to see God do something. And we can do that too. We really can. Because the truth is, often problems of this magnitude will drive us into one of two positions. They will either drive us to doubt God or they will drive us to trust him. And we want to trust God. So we've got to prepare our hearts to see him work. And that's what Joshua was commanding Israel to do right here, to, to go and seek God by preparing their hearts. And we do that when we pray. We do that when we read and study our Bibles. We do that when we worship together, when we gather together for fellowship. In those moments of complexity where we don't know what to do, we can pause and we can seek God. But as we continue in this text, the Lord is going to speak to Joshua and he's going to give him some commands to follow and interwoven into these commands, I'd like you to see that there is this reminder that God is in control. You see, when we have complex problems that we don't know how to solve, it will help us if, like Israel, we remember that God is in control. Remember that God is in control. Take a look. Beginning at verse 7, the Bible says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you 
and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand still in one heap. Now, as we look at this and we consider what the Lord has said to Joshua, and then we consider what Joshua has just said to the people of Israel, what we're seeing here is a reminder of God's presence with his people as they're getting ready to enter into Canaan. In verse 7, we see the reminder that all of Israel is going to know that just as God was with Moses, he is now with Joshua. And then in verse 10, we see Joshua remind the people that what they're about to see is going to be a powerful demonstration that the God of heaven and earth is on their side and that he's with them as they go in and that he's going to clear out the land for them. But this is more than just a reminder that God is with them because it's also a massive demonstration that God is in control of the whole situation. Like he gives Joshua commands that if we're just being honest, don't make any sense. Like can you imagine what this sounded like to Joshua? I want you to take your priests and have them carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water, and as they wade into the water, they're just going to stop right there. Like that's, that's a crazy plan. But that's what God commands Joshua to do. And then if you really want to see how like kind of crazy this is, put yourself into the shoes of the people of Israel. Like, how would you respond if you heard Joshua saying this? I mean, if you're being honest, you're standing there, you're one of the people of Israel, and Joshua says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the priests walk into the river. When they walk into the river with the ark, it's just going to stop and we're going to cross over. If you heard that plan, wouldn't you start to doubt your, like maybe question Joshua's leadership like, you'd have some questions, am I right? But, but then, if you're there with them, you would remember that just a couple days ago, you promised to obey Joshua in whatever he commanded you to do, wherever he commanded you to go. And to make it worse, you promised, if anybody disobeys Joshua, we'll put him to death. You're kind of stuck, right? And so Joshua is giving these commands that make absolutely no sense. There's no way, no way that this is going to work unless God is in control. Unless it's God that's doing this. And that's the whole point. God has brought them to cross the Jordan River at this time of year where the river is at its widest, where it is raging the most, where it is the hardest to cross, where it's impossible to cross. He's brought them to this place and set up this plan, which makes absolutely no sense just to show that he is in control of the whole situation. It is so important for us to remember that God is in control. As we're following Christ and we have these complex challenges as we encounter these problems where we don't know how we're going to solve them, whether it's like a family issue or a health issue, whether it's an, a problem that we have in the church or at work or, or in the neighborhood at home, whether it's the state of our government or the political or social situation, whether it's the fact that nations are about to war against other nations, 
God is in control. The simple reality is it doesn't matter how big or small our problem is. God is in control. None of this has caught him off guard. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're facing, it has not surprised God. Like I promise you, God is not sitting on his throne in heaven, looking down and being like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that just happened. Whatever will I do? That's not happening. None of this has caught him off guard. He's in control. And as followers of Jesus, when we recognize that, that should be an encouragement to us. We should be empowered to know that even as hard as it may seem right now, God is in control and he's going to work it out for our good and his glory. He's in control. And as we remember that God's in control, all that's left for us to do is to trust him and then to walk whatever path he puts in front of us. That's all that's left. Trust God and walk whatever path God has for you. That's what Israel did there on the banks of the Jordan. Take a look, keep reading. Starting at verse 14, the Bible says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the, Jericho, or now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan." Now, in the case of the people of Israel, they literally walked the path that God opened up for them across the Jordan. That's what we're seeing them do. They trusted and obeyed the command, as crazy as it sounded, as out of left field as these instructions may have been to them, they did what God and Joshua commanded them to do. And as they were obedient, God worked wonders. God stopped up the river the ground was dry, and the people literally walked the path across the river. That's what we're seeing right here. We're talking about almost a mile wide at this point, and the water just completely stopped. The ground was dry as soon as the priest's feet went into the water. God showed them the path across the river. That's what we're seeing. But as they approached the river, again, put yourselves in their shoes. How easy would it have been for them to just say, hey, Joshua, question. Do you think maybe we should look up there and see if there's a ford we could go across? Or, or how easy would it have been, even after the water stopped, to look and see that the water had stopped, but the, that it had been raging and say, oh, I don't know if we should do this. What if the water starts raging again? It'll wash us all down the, downstream. It could have been so easy for them to not obey but God had given them this spot to cross the river, across from Jericho, and so they just obeyed. They just walked the path that God had opened up for them right in front of them. And, and listen, when we face our challenges, when we face struggles, very often God will clear the path for us. He'll show us the path that we need to walk. If we seek to know God's will by diving into Scripture, 
studying it, reading it, seeing what God has laid out for us. If we seek to know God's will by spending time in prayer, asking him to show us what we should do, if we seek to know his will by going to other faithful Christians and asking them to help us to seek God's will, as we do that, very often, God will make his will clear to us. His word will guide us. He'll put those other Christians in our path to counsel us. The Holy Spirit will lead us to, and help us to know the path we should walk. And as God does that, as God places that path in front of us, all we need to do is take it. We just walk whatever path God has for you. That's what we're seeing right here. It's up to us to obediently follow his leadership, to obediently walk where he directs our lives to go. But I, I want to add, and, and I've learned this from personal experience, that following Christ, walking that path, often that's the harder path to walk. Just because it's the path God has laid out for us doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Sometimes it's a path that's going to lead us into painful situations. Sometimes it's going to be hard Sometimes it's going to be a struggle. Sometimes it, it may even hurt to walk that path. But when we know and trust that God is in control, we also know that his path, it's for our good and for his glory. Following Christ is not always going to be easy. It's just not. We'll have challenges that we face. We'll have difficulties that we face. We will encounter problems that are complex, so complex that we don't know what to do. So complex that we don't know if we will ever see these problems resolved. And they may be problems that are of our own making. Problems that are because we're sinners and we sin. And now we've got, we're left and we've got pieces we've got to pick up and figure out how to move forward. They might be problems that are caused by the sin of others. Sometimes it, it's problems that are just straight up spiritual warfare because we battle against an enemy. He's not flesh and blood. We battle against powers in, in spiritual warfare is going on and we need to recognize that we have an enemy who wants to see us defeated, who wants to see our king defeated. And so there are going to be times where we have challenges that we don't know what to do. But here, as we look at Joshua chapter 3, we can see that when we follow Jesus, we can rest in the reality that God is in control. He's in control. And he's going to win in the end. And our complexities, whatever problem we have, no matter how big it is, it is nothing to God. He's not going to lose. So when we don't know what to do, we can emulate Joshua. We can emulate the people of Israel here and, and do what they did in chapter three. We can look to see where God is at work. And we can prepare our hearts, hearts to watch him work. We can remember that God's in control. None of this has caught him off guard. None of this has surprised him. He's still on his throne. He still reigns and he will be victorious. And we can seek to know his will by spending time in prayer by spending time in scripture. God has spoken to us in his word. He will show us what to do. We can know his will by talking with other Christians and asking them to seek his will with us. Don't try to follow Christ on your own. 
we can know his will through all of this. And as he reveals his will to us, all that's left for us to do is obediently follow the path he's given us. Ever had that path shown to you and you've been like, God, maybe that's not where I want to go. I've been there. I've been there. But that's what's left for us to do. So we walk that path and he walks with us. Because our greatest problems, our biggest challenges, they're no problem for him. That's what we're seeing in this text. We serve a God of complexity. The things that are complex to us are nothing to him. And we can trust him in that. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.